Blog Talk Radio. Holy Manuel I Celestia, Rastafari. Talk to Ras, you old Mr. Talk to Ras. Talk to Rastafari. When you hear me say, my son of a talk to Rascla. Hold on. Should you hear me say Rascla? I don't think it's the least language. I always remember so the word Ras mean head and check my turban and my clock that tight to see it. So I say Rascla. Well, the fire is for the purification. How can you fight against fire? When you wake up in the morning, you want a cup of tea, it's fire, don't. In the evening, you want some food that's still fire. So I say, I'm a bun car and someone attack, but what if a bun car and you drive car? Do you understand what I mean? I don't overstand. I say, I'm a bun car, I mean, so you mustn't put car in front of humanity. That means you must see your brothers and your sisters before you see car. Because people is more valuable than material. But if you are going like you want complicated or being ridiculous with a little mental capacity, I know I got to make you know you want to get even with the fire. Well, in the time I go into my car, from I drive car, I have to burn it. Because remember, when I press gas, I burn me, I burn gas. You know that. When I press my brake, I burn me, I burn brake also. No, when, I, when I turn on the ignition, you know how much fire that's in my engine. If I need some music and turn on the stereo, I fire give me that. But watch a bigger judgment. If I need some cool air conditioner, fire generate that also. So always remember, so the fire is the main source of life. May I pass the church and hear them depart. Keep the fire burning. Hear them again. A little more oil in my lamp. Keep it burning. Hear them now. God now come back with no water. Bring store of fire. Now the fuck are not confused about fire. The fire is for the purification. You know know something? The herb heal. But it's still the fire for burning herbs. So the herb could not able to heal. Watch out again. The water cleanse. But it's still the fire for burning the water and purify the water so the water could not able to cleanse. Any man who not have no fire dead. Holy man who I still see you. Yeah. Rastafari. You know, me have to ride that rhythm, mister. You know what I'm saying? Greetings and blessings to all within the sound of my voice. In the name of our Father, King, and Creator, known by many names to many tribes. Yeah. Rastafari. Live it in the name of his three sons, the three trinities of life, justice, and equality, scattered amongst the books of the Torah, separated in the books. In the three books, the Bible, the Quran, the Torah. Blessed be and welcome. It's a great day. In the name of our Father, Jeff Rastafari. And as black people get ready to go vote, I ask you to think before you even vote. Because that's something that we ain't doing, man. These crackers got us. First of all, I don't support Black Life Matter. That's how I came to this show. Black-owned radio, King's Court, Black Power, fuck Black Life Matter. If you can show me, with all the stuff going on and all these people that's yelling Black Life Matter, burning and looting up and fucking up their city, what are we gaining? Crap party started running, all I've seen them doing is black baby kissing. New York City's burning, and it's going to burn and keep burning because New York is Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's definitely going to burn. To see black people... Embrace slavery in 2020 is a damn shame. You turn your backs on God for homosexuality. You want to yell black lives matters and don't even understand that you support everything that against black people as well as God. So how can you expect at this time when the COVID that was created by the Democrat Party, God going to sit here and show a clean heart to you? The churches now have accepted homosexuality because the Catholic Church said so in this order. Starts with the highest crackers. Tell you like this. I don't trust none of these people. 
If you ask me, no, I did not register to vote. If you ask me, yes, I support black voices for Trump. You show me where in this time that we have had these crackers in the house built by black men that you saw a black voice. Even when we had a nigger in the White House, or should I say the stolen house, because it was stolen from a black man that made it into the White House. And it was a black man that made Congress. The first president was a black man. And they tried to kill him so they could put George Washington's bitch ass in there. There hasn't been a president like Abe Lincoln since Donald Trump that did stuff for black people. And y'all can't prove that. There's other presidents. Because everybody else has asked black people to do. One thing I find that's very disgusting is the fact that we're raising our kids in a homosexual family. That's not black. That's not even Black Lives Matter. That's gunshot. To see my black brothers and sisters out here running around doing the devil's work is disgusting. First of all, we all bit the apple when they killed George Floyd. Then as we did the real map to it, it shows he's not even dead. He's in New York City, yo. Probably in Brooklyn. How you do a visual for a man that never died in New York City, in New York City? Stop playing with us black people. Stop playing with us, you crackers. Because your day is coming. The day of judgment is here. And because black people decided they wanted to worship George Floyd like an idol and a lovely black sister who got exploited in this whole devil's movement to fool God's people, Breonna Taylor, whose boyfriend, if you ask me, died. She died because of his bitch ass. He probably was working with the police and they came to collect. It reminds me of the same thing that happened in New York City up in the Bronx when the police came to arrest a young black man that they thought they had in their pocket and he bucked off and killed a couple of them. Second of all, I want to salute and send condolences out first to the black families, to the black brother and sister that were killed in Jersey after they bucked up a couple of Jews and also to the Mexican brother that lost his life, an innocent life. Nine to ten, the Jews probably threw him into the gunfire. Said, fuck it. Because, you know, that's what they do. They're savages. Until the brother that ran up inside there and chopped up a couple of Jews with a machete. Hold your head, man. In L.A., the young brother that ran up and shot the police car. Do your time and hold your head, man. You four symbolize where black folks should have been. Black power, man. We ain't taking it's, it's crazy how we can go out in the streets and buck each other, rob each other. Because you know why New York City got the highest crime rate? It ain't because the shooters is out here. Stop disrespecting the shooters, man. Look at the governor. The governor of New York City decided he wanted to put out here all the killers. And tell you people that, oh, they're not killers, you know, it's a couple of drug offenders. Bullshit. What they're trying to do is separate all the prisoners out of Rikers Island. Then what they're going to do in Brooklyn, Queens... The Bronx, they're going to put up substations. It's like what they did in California. I call them concentration camps. Because if you get arrested in Brooklyn, they're not going to lock you up in a Brooklyn prison. They're going to lock you up in the Bronx or maybe Queens. That's how they do it. You know what I mean? So y'all got to start looking and watching and see what they're doing. And they let you brothers out of jail so they can go ahead and you know lock you back up. No, we don't support homosexuality. No black woman should have to 
put out there what she does in the bedroom just to get a paycheck. Much less compete in a faggot-run world with a bunch of faggot-ass niggas. Women can't buy sexuality. Stop teaching them that bullshit. 2020 is the year of judgment and death. Today's show, man, is for you to think, man. As the late, legendary, my brother Malcolm X said, man, learn to think for yourself, man. And that's what today's show is all about, man. It's about thinking, black people. Stop accepting, man. Stop accepting the fact that your fucking child wants to be a homosexual. Put that motherfucker out there in the street. You ain't got to feed him no more. You fat women out there that feel that you're lonely, that you're so lonely you got to sit down and smoke a cigarette or a blunt and drink a liquor with a faggot, a fucking transsexual. You ain't got to do that shit. You're putting more burden on yourself. Black woman, stop feeling like you got to go get new ass and titties to compete with these cracker bitches. Man, the most sexiest thing on a black woman is her lips. And Sister Mary in Hall says, man, y'all need to turn back Christian, man. We forgot everything. Walking religiously, spiritually, man. The 13 churches are about to burn. We will never accept homosexuality, much less Black Lives Matter. Don't come around me with that shit. Because we've been, ta- we been talking about Black Lives Matter. It's called Black Power, motherfucker. Black Lives Matter was started. By George Soros, y'all can go do the Google on that. And then they put some lesbian black chicks up in front of it. That's how they get you. They've been digging up and throwing black people all over the place. Look at every Democrat state. And I guarantee you, you see more unjust done to black people, man. Stop believing the hype, man. They're killing us. And they're using us to kill us, man. Oprah Winfrey's an agent. She killed a whole bunch of black girls at her school just to get into that banking system. Gail, her job was to defund and kill black people and bring us down. Talk about black men left to right. Oh, we ain't going to worry about Puffy because Puffy dealing with his own demons. That nigga done fucked enough young black males trying to get into the music industry. Was no surprise that he came out that he had Christopher Williams sucking his dick. Y'all need to stop playing with black folks because black folks is killing black folks. And we ain't doing it for the cracker. We doing it for justice, equality. Because we them house niggas, we them field niggas, well, guess what? It's the time for the field niggas to start killing these house niggas. Because these motherfucking house niggas got us looking at Biden as motherfucking president. Tell you like this. When you go to vote, look and see where we've been at and see where we at. They tell us Donald Trump is a racist. But yet Biden is the one in 94 that locked up a lot of black men. And they son. Camilla Harris did a lot to black men. San Francisco. One of the most gayest motherfucking places. And that's where they stick black people. When they fuck up in the, in the white world of politics. Or they get too ambitious. And Harris used to be a fucking go-go girl. She used to be a hoe. She went from a hoe to an educated politician. Bradley was her man. Cokehead Bradley. Do the research. It's there, man. You got to understand something, man. All the Democrats want to do is bring back everything to the way it was. Black folks still be treated like shit. Look at Barack Obama. His wife is a transvestite. And y'all ran and believe it. Like I said, man, today is black power, man. Fuck Black Lives Matters, man. Y'all need to start to understand, man. It's black power. 
It's time for us to stop accepting. Stop burning down your fucking community because there's black-owned communities in there, man. We got black-owned stores and shit. If you niggas ain't going to turn around and bust your guns at these crooked cops, these dirty cops, or jump in front of the cops instead of a fucking camera and say, hey, listen, you ain't killing no more of us, man. You either going to handcuff them or let them go. They can't kill us. They can't beat us. So why the fuck is we sitting here accepting them? And they bullshit. Shut down shit. Let's go, man. Y'all forgot about God. Y'all forgot about the teachers of Malcolm X, Dr. Khalid Muhammad. You even got right now in Chicago a gay mosque. What is that about? I asked a young brother on, the, on Facebook about it. He gave me Farrakhan's email. I'm a roster. I'm a brother of righteousness. I'm talking to all my brothers of righteousness. I don't care what level of righteousness you with. Because I'm free spirit of Rasta. I wasn't ordained by no other Rastas. I was ordained by the high most. And I'm sick to my stomach to see how my black brothers and my black sisters are. Everything is homosexual. Everything is I'm gangster. But your gangster ain't around when the cracker is putting that knee in your back. Or that jive-talking nigga got you out there doing the cracker's business. Wake the fuck up, black folks. Learn to think for yourself. If not, trust me, 2020 is going to be the most bloodiest, bloodiest judgment for black people. It's 2020, judgment and death. Wake up, man. Time to see. COVID was put here by the Democrats. Don't matter if you wear a mask or not, you still can catch the bitch. You got to go home. They already tested this shit in Africa. So they already know how it's going to catch black people. They tested it in Puerto Rico. They tested it in the Dominican Republic. And also you white people out there. Y'all got to stop sitting here just riding the wave. Time for y'all to get up off your cracker asses, your white dumb asses, and start thinking. Who you think killed the Jews? The Jews killed the Jews. Who gives a fuck about the Holocaust? I'm dealing with one of the best and the biggest Holocausts of all time. The black man. And the black woman and the black child holocaust. The holocaust of God's people. But anyhow, let's get this shit started. Let's get into it, you know what I'm saying? It's King Rasta, 28 the Elder, Black Owned Radio, King's Court, Spiritual Sunday Special, Black Power, Fuck Black Life Matter. It's going to be running for the week, man. We're going to see how far I'm going to go with this. But like I said, that's just a couple of topics off my chest, a couple of things that I just saw that I didn't like. You know, because... Somebody got to speak up, boy, because y'all ain't doing it. You know what I'm saying? Somebody got mad because I said that Biden is a fucking idiot. He is. Fuck Barack Obama, too. Fuck anybody that wants to run with the Democrat Party. I'm going to tell you what I see coming. I see death and destruction. I see New York City burning. I see New York before Thanksgiving, as they call it. I call it the Feast of the Dead, shutting down. They say New York is the city that don't sleep. Well, John just made New York sleep. Let's go, man. It's King Rasta in the motherfucking building. Sorry for the profanity, or am I not? Let's go, man. It's black power, man. Fuck Black Lives Matter. Salute to everybody I fuck with, man. Let's wake up, black people. Let's learn to think, man. Today's show is for you to expand your mind and think. You know what I mean? Ask yourself a lot of questions before you vote. You understand? Why you vote? The same dude that was in office when the nigga was in there did nothing while the nigga was in there. What do you think he's going to do now? 
Donald Trump did more for black people than this nigga did in his tender years. But you see, black people, we didn't hear Donald Trump say, hey, I'm going to do this and that. No, because we was too busy up to crack his ass. Ever since they came out and kissed black babies, we've been sucking off the black man's fucking ass off the white man's ass. If y'all figure that out, then y'all know what I'm talking about. But we're going to get a little bit more, a little bit more deep into it. And I'll just tell you like this. Biden told y'all, man, if you vote for Donald Trump, you ain't black. You understand what I'm saying? I want y'all to listen. When you hear that come up, I just want y'all to listen. And then I'm going to play you something from Black Voices. First, I'm going to play you what the news reporter says, that she's going to read you something from Black Voices for Donald Trump. And I want y'all to really hear that shit. Because y'all not listening, man. And also got that Woody Lynch, man. You got to know your roots and know how you came about, man. See, in Jamaica, we learned that in Haiti, our Haitian brothers, who they first decided to go after, because, you know, White Cliff sold out Haiti. Thanks to um, Sean Penn, a white man, he wasn't able to get presidency over there. You know what I'm saying? But Hillary them snuck in there and brought it. Yes, they destroyed Haiti. They killed all them Haitians over there. As payback, because they remember, them crackers ain't forget. They remember, it was Haitians, it was the it was the country of Haiti that made them crackers write the Willie Lynch curse. Because we sat there, studied these crackers. We read the books of these crackers. We even studied they, 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 they ways of being two-faced. And when they partied and got drunk... We killed every last one of them fucking crackers. From the newborn to the oldborn. Cut them motherfuckers in their sleep. When word got back to them other crackers, they say, hell no. Nah. We need to write a plan. Then when them Jews went to see over there where Hitler was at, they saw Hitler chilling with the niggas. They say, oh shit, no Hitler. Kill them niggas. Or have them niggas your slaves. Hitler said, nah. Them is God." I ain't dealing with, I'm not messing with them. Those are God people. So you know what the Jews did? They killed every Jew that wanted to be like Hitler. There was no problem. White people are savages. When you understand where white people come from in their bloodline, they came from Cain. They don't even have a history of being creators. Because everything they ever did, they conquered it. They were savages with it. Go back and look at how they talked about the cave agents. Think about how they talk about Beating their women's upside their head with sticks and then dragging them by their hair. I'm always, when I first came to this country, I was already told I was a nigger by a black woman and a white woman in school in Brooklyn. I was eight years old, probably nine, because I still smoked patwa, still had my manners and my respect that my grandmother and my mother instilled in me. I heard my teachers say that I think he's retarded. No, I think he's stupid. So it was hard for black kids coming from third world countries to live in America. Because even our own kind didn't want us here because they were brainwashed like the cracker. They thought like the cracker, moved like the cracker. And I still see it to this day. New York City is infested with a lot of crime and it's done by their own people. And you got black people too. Trust me. Let's go, man. Let's get this shit started, man, because I'm just getting deep into it, man. Like I said, man, learn to think for yourself. Malcolm X. Let's go, black people. Black power, man. Black power. Stand for God. 
or just move the fuck out the way. That's all I got to tell you, man. If you ain't standing for righteousness and you ain't standing for the elevation of black people and you ain't about black power and you ain't ready to die, nigga, for justice and equality, dog, in the name of the Father, the High Most, whatever level you call him on, then move the fuck out the way, nigga. Stop making excuses for these crackers. Because these same crackers is killing their own kind. And their own kind too scared because they come back to the black hood. How do you think the police them get mad at us and beat us and kill us? Because there's some Jew motherfucker that's got his foot on that white motherfucker. So that pussy-ass nigga, that pussy-ass cracker can't tell, that his, tell his boss, fuck you, you cracker Jew motherfucker. So he takes all that frustration, plus the fact that his wife don't even find him attractive no more. You know what I'm saying? His wife can't stand it, plus he's drinking too much. You ever notice cops that drink a lot are very abusive and very temperamental? And then when they come into the black community, they got the Jews foot on their neck, which is a sergeant or boss. Then they mad extra because they pay us low. And then they see us. We starving in the hood, but we ain't letting you crackers know it. Yeah, we making good money. Selling your shit to your fucking kids, you dumb motherfucker. Your girl don't want to hang out with the black brother. Well, she got to pop her pussy. She got to pop that pussy. She want to be in the black hood. You understand? I know white girls that grew up in the hood that literally go out and fuck up all the white girls because they ain't hood. Like I said, we taught white people to be humble. We taught white people how to eat properly. We taught them how to clean their food. We taught them how to take the bath and water, not they piss and they vomit. We taught them that. We taught them to be civilized because we're gods and goddesses. So how the fuck in 2020 we still marching like we ain't overcome. Go look and see Black Voices for Trump. Let's go, man. Learn to think, you motherfuckers. Get to thinking, niggas. Y'all can think of a million ways of doing nothing but yelling Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. You got a bunch of Jews and faggots and you standing right there with the clan too. So how the fuck does Black Lives Matter when you're standing with the same motherfuckers that put it here? Let's go. Learn to think. Malcolm X. Also, I am very pleased to see so many who have come out to always... Uh, see for yourself, where you can hear for yourself and then think for yourself, then you'll be in a better position to make an intelligent judgment for yourself. But if you form the habit of listening to what others say about something or someone or reading what someone else has written about someone, somebody can uh, confuse you and misuse you. So as Afro-Americans or black people here in the Western Hemisphere, you and I have to learn to Weigh things for ourselves. No matter what the man says, you better look into it. An example of why it's so important to look into things for yourself. I was on a plane between Algiers and Geneva, uh, and it just happened that two other Americans were sitting in the two seats next to me. None of us knew each other, and the other two were white, one a male, the other a female. And after we had been flying along for about 40 minutes, the lady... She says, could I ask you a personal question? I said, yes. She said, well, she had been looking at my briefcase, and she said, well, what does that X 
She says, uh, what kind of last name could you have that begins with X? So I said, that's it, X. And she said, well, what does the M stand for? I said, Malcolm. So she was quiet for about 10 minutes. And, and she turned to me and she says, you're not Malcolm X. <laughs> you see, I have, we had been riding along in a nice conversation like three human beings, you know, no hostility, no animosity, just human. And uh, she couldn't take this. She said, well, you're not who I was looking for, you know? And, uh, and she ended up telling me that she was looking for horns and all that and, and for someone who was out to kill all white people, as if all white people could be killed. <laughs> this was her general attitude, and this attitude had been given her, uh, this image had been given her by the press. So before I get involved in anything nowadays, I have to straighten out my own position, and which is clear. I am not a racist in any form whatsoever. I don't believe in any form of racism. I don't believe in any form of discrimination or segregation. I believe in Islam. I'm a Muslim. The Willie Lynch Letter and the Making of a Slave The first Africans in America arrived through Jamestown, Virginia in 1619 as indentured labor or servants. From about 1619 to 1640, the laws throughout Europe and the Americas removed all human individuality from abducted Africans and named them property. The U.S. Supreme Court and chief justices like Roger B. Taney ensured that the law did not protect slaves, but imbued their white oppressors who physically, mentally, and psychologically abused them with full supremacy. No Negro, whether slave or free, could ever be considered a citizen of the United States. The Honorable Judge wrote. In 1640, Maryland became the first colony to institutionalize slavery in America. And in 1641, Massachusetts, in its written legislation titled Body of Liberties, stated that bondage was legal servitude. At that moment, changing the status of the African hostages to automatic chattel slaves that could be bought and sold at the discretion of their white owners. The Willie Lynch Letter Gentlemen, I greet you here on the bank of the James River in the year of our Lord 1712. First, I shall thank you, the gentlemen of the Colony of Virginia, for bringing me here. I'm here to help you solve some of your problems with slaves. Your invitation reached me on my modest plantation in the West Indies, where I have experimented with some of the newest and still the oldest methods for control of slaves. Ancient Rome would envy us if my program is implemented. 
As our boat sailed south on the James River, named for our illustrious king, whose version of the Bible we cherish, I saw enough to know that your problem is not unique. While Rome used cords of wood as crosses for standing human bodies along its old highway in great numbers, you here are using the tree and the rope on occasion. I caught the whiff of a dead slave hanging from a tree a couple of miles back. You are not only losing valuable stock by hangings, you are having uprisings, slaves are running away, your crops are sometimes left in the fields too long for maximum profit, you suffer occasional fires, your animals are killed. Gentlemen, you know what your problems are. I need not to elaborate. I am not here to enumerate your problems. I am here to introduce you to a method of solving them. In my bag here, I have a foolproof method for controlling your black slaves. I guarantee every one of you that if installed correctly, it will control the slaves for at least 300 years. My method is simple. Any member of your family or your overseer can use it. I have outlined a number of differences among the slaves and I take these differences and make them bigger. I use fear, distrust, and envy for control purposes. These methods have worked on my modest plantation in the West Indies and it will work throughout the South. Take this simple list of differences and think about them. On top of my list is age, but it is there only because it starts with an A. The second is color or shade. There is intelligence, size, sex, status on plantation, attitude of owners, whether the slaves live in the valley, on a hill, east, west, north, South, have fine hair, coarse hair, or is tall or short. Now that you have a list of differences, I shall give you an outline of action, but before that I shall assure you that distrust is stronger than trust, and envy is stronger than adulteration, respect, or admiration. The black slave, after receiving this indoctrination, shall carry on and will become self-refueling and self-generating for hundreds of years, maybe thousands. Don't forget you must pitch the old black male versus the young black male, and the young black male against the old black male. You must use the dark-skinned slaves versus the light-skinned slaves and the light-skinned slaves versus the dark-skinned slaves. You must also have your white servants and overseers distrust all blacks, but it is necessary that your slaves trust and depend on us. They must love, respect, and trust only us. Gentlemen, these kits are your keys to control. Use them. Have your wives and children use them. Never miss an opportunity. If used intensely for one year, the slaves themselves will remain perpetually distrustful. Thank you, gentlemen.
Let's Make a Slave The Origin and Development of a Social Being Called the Negro Let us make a slave. What do we need? First of all, we need a black nigger man and a pregnant nigger woman on, and her baby nigger boy. Second, we will use the same basic principle that we use in breaking a horse, combined with some more sustaining factors. We reduce them from their natural state in nature, whereas nature provides them with the natural capacity to take care of their needs and the needs of their offspring. We break that natural string of independence from them and thereby create a dependency state so that we may be able to get from them useful production for our business and pleasure. Cardinal Principles for Making a Negro For fear that our future generations may not understand the principles of breaking both horses and men, we lay down the art. For if we are to sustain our basic economy, we must break both of the beasts together the nigger and the horse. We understand that short-range planning and economics results in periodic economic chaos, so that to avoid turmoil in the economy, it requires us to have breadth and depth in long-range comprehensive planning, articulating both skill and sharp perception. We lay down the following principles for long-range comprehensive economic planning. 1. Both horse and niggers are no good to the economy in the wild or natural state. 2. Both must be broken and tied together for orderly production. 3. For orderly futures, special and particular attention must be paid to the female and the youngest offspring. 4. Both must be cross-bred to produce a variety and division of labor. 5. Both must be taught to respond to a peculiar new language. 6. Psychological and physical instruction of containment must be created for both. We hold the above six cardinals as truths to be self-evident based upon the following discourse concerning the economics of breaking and tying the horse and nigger together, all inclusive of the six principles laid down above. Note, neither principles alone will suffice for good economics. All principles must be employed for the orderly good of the nation. Accordingly, both a wild horse and a wild or natural nigger is dangerous even if captured, for they will have the tendency to seek their customary freedom, and in doing so might kill you in your sleep. You cannot rest. They sleep while you are awake and are awake while you are asleep. They are dangerous near the family house, and it requires too much labor to watch them away from the house. Above all, you cannot get them to work in this natural state, 
Hence, both the horse and the nigger must be broken. That is, break them from one form of mental life to another. Keep the body and take the mind. In other words, break the will to resist. Now the breaking process is the same for the horse and the nigger, only slightly varying in degrees. But as we said before, you must keep your eye focused on the female and the offspring of the horse and the nigger. A brief discourse in offspring development will shed light on the key to sound economic principles. Pay little attention to the generation of original breaking, but concentrate on future generations. Therefore, if you break the female, she will break the offspring in its early years of development, and when the offspring is old enough to work, she will deliver it up to you. For her normal female protective tendencies will have been lost in the original breaking process. For example, take the case of the wild stud horse, a female horse and an already infant horse, and compare the breaking process with two captured nigger males in their natural state, a pregnant nigger woman with her infant offspring. Take the stud horse, break him for limited containment. Completely break the female horse until she becomes very gentle, whereas you or anybody can ride her in comfort. Breed the mare and the stud until you have the desired offspring. Then you can turn the stud to freedom until you need him again. Train the female horse whereby she will eat out of your hand, and she will train the infant horse to eat out of your hand also. When it comes to breaking the uncivilized nigger, use the same process, but vary the degree and step up the pressure so as to do a complete reversal of the mind. Take the meanest and most restless nigger, strip him of his clothes in front of the remaining male niggers, the female and the nigger infant. Tar and feather him. Tie each leg to a different horse faced in opposite directions. Set him afire and beat both horses to pull him apart in front of the remaining niggers. The next step is to take a bull whip and beat the remaining nigger male to the point of death in front of the female and the infant. Don't kill him, but put the fear of God in him, for he can be useful for future breeding. The Breaking Process of the African Woman Take the female and run a series of tests on her to see if she will submit to your desires willingly. Test her in every way, because she is the most important factor for good economics. If she shows any signs of resistance in submitting completely to your will, do not hesitate to use the bull whip on her to extract the last bit of bitch out of her. Take care not to kill her, for in doing so, you spoil good economics. When in complete submission, she will train her offspring in the early years to submit to labor when they become of age. Understanding is the best thing. 
Therefore, we shall go deeper into this area of the subject matter concerning what we have produced here in this breaking of the female nigger. We have reversed the relationships. In her natural uncivilized state, she would have a strong dependency on the uncivilized nigger male and she would have a limited protective dependency toward her independent male offspring and would raise female offspring to be dependent like her. Nature had provided for this type of balance. We reversed nature by burning and pulling one civilized nigger apart and bull whipping the other to the point of death, all in her presence. By her being left alone, unprotected, with the male image destroyed, the ordeal caused her to move from her psychological dependent state to a frozen independent state. In this frozen psychological state of independence, she will raise her male and female offspring in reverse roles. For fear of the young male's life, she will psychologically train him to be mentally weak and dependent but physically strong. Because she has become psychologically independent, she will train her female offspring to be psychological independent as well. What have you got? You've got the nigger woman out front and the nigger man behind and scared. This is a perfect situation for sound sleep and economics. Before the breaking process, we had to be alert and on guard at all times. Now we can sleep soundly, for out of frozen fear, his woman stands guard for us. He cannot get past her early infant slave molding process. He is a good tool, now ready to be tied to the horse at a tender age. By the time a nigger boy reaches the age of 16, he is soundly broken in and ready for a long life of sound and efficient work and the reproduction of a unit of good labor force. Continually, through the breaking of uncivilized savage niggers, by throwing the nigger female savage into a frozen psychological state of independency, by killing the protective male image and by creating a submissive dependent mind of the nigger male slave, we have created an orbiting cycle that turns on its own axis forever. Unless a phenomenon occurs and reshifts the positions of the male and female savages. We show what we mean by example. Take the case of the two economic slave units and examine them closely. The Negro Marriage Unit We breed two nigger males with two nigger females. Then we take the nigger males away from them and keep them moving and working. Say the nigger female bears a nigger female and the other bears a nigger male. Both nigger females, being without influence of the nigger male image, frozen with an independent psychology, will raise their offspring into reverse positions. The one with the female offspring will teach her to be like herself, independent and negotiable, 
We negotiate with her, through her, by her, and negotiate her at will. The one with the nigger male offspring, she being frozen with a subconscious fear for his life, will raise him to be mentally dependent and weak, but physically strong, in other words, body over mind. Now, in a few years, when these two offspring become fertile for early reproduction, we will mate and breed them and continue the cycle. That is good, sound, and long-range comprehensive planning. Warning, possible interloping negatives. Earlier, we talked about the non-economic good of the horse and the nigger in their wild or natural state. We talked out the principle of breaking and tying them together for orderly production. Furthermore, we talked about paying particular attention to the female savage and her offspring for orderly future planning. Then more recently, we stated that by reversing the positions of the male and the female savages, we had created an orbiting cycle that turns on its own axis forever unless phenomenon occurred and reshifted the positions of the male and female savages. Our experts warned us about the possibility of this phenomenon occurring, for they say that the mind has a strong drive to correct and recorrect itself over a period of time if it can touch some substantial original historical base. And they advised us that the best way to deal with this phenomenon is to shave off the brute's mental history and create a multiplicity of phenomenon or illusions so that each illusion will twirl in its own orbit something akin to floating balls in a vacuum. This creation of a multiplicity of phenomenon or illusions entails the principles of crossbreeding the nigger and the horse as we stated above, the purpose of which is to create a diversified division of labor, the results of which is the severance of the points of original beginnings for each spherical illusion. Since we feel that the subject matter may get more complicated as we proceed in laying down our economic plan concerning the purpose, reason, and effect of crossbreeding horses and niggers, we shall lay down the following definitional terms for future generations. 1. Orbiting cycle means a thing turning in a given pattern. 2. Axis means upon which or around which a body turns. 3. Phenomenon means something beyond ordinary conception and inspires awe and wonder. 4. Multiplicity means a great number. 5. Sphere means a globe. 6. Crossbreeding a horse means taking a horse and breeding it with an ass and you get a dumb, backward-ass, long-headed mule that is not reproductive nor productive by itself. 7. 
Crossbreeding niggers means taking so many drops of good white blood and putting them into as many nigger women as possible, varying the drops by the various tones that you want, and then letting them breed with each other until the circle of colors appear as you desire. What this means is this. Put the niggers and the horse in the breeding pot. Mix some acids and some good white blood and what do you get? You got a multiplicity of colors of ass backwards, unusual niggers, running, tied to backward ass, long-headed mules, the one productive of itself, the other sterile, the one constant, the other dying. We keep the nigger constant for we may replace the mule for another tool. Both mule and nigger tied to each other, neither knowing where the other came from, and neither productive for itself nor without each other. Controlled Language Crossbreeding completed for further severance from their original beginning, we must completely annihilate the mother tongue of both the nigger and the new mule and institute a new language that involves the new life's work of both. You know language is a peculiar institution. It leads to the heart of a people. The more a foreigner knows about the language of another country, the more, is he, the more he is able to move through all levels of that society. Therefore, if the foreigner is an enemy of the country, to the extent that he knows the body of the language, to that extent is the country vulnerable to attack or invasion of a foreign culture. For example, you take a slave. If you teach him all about your language, he will know all your secrets, and he is then no more a slave. For you can't fool him any longer, and having a fool is one of the basic ingredients of an incident to the making of the slavery system. For example, if you told a slave that he must perform in getting out our crops, and he knows the language well, he would know that our crops didn't mean our crops, and the slavery system would break down for he would relate on the basis of what our crops really meant. So you have to be careful in setting up new language for the slave would soon be in your house, talking to you as man to man, and that is death to our economic system. In addition, the definition of words or terms are only a minute part of the process. Values are created and transported by communication through the body of the language. A total society has many interconnected value systems. All these values in the society have bridges of language to connect them for orderly working in the society. But for these language bridges, these many value systems would sharply clash and cause internal strife or civil war the degree of the conflict being determined by the magnitude of the issues or relative opposing strength in whatever form. For example, 
If you put a slave in a hog pen and train him to live there and incorporate in him to value it as a way of life completely, the biggest problem you will have out of him is that he would worry you about provisions to keep the hog pen clean or partially clean or he might not worry you at all. On the other hand, if you put this same slave in the same hog pen and make a slip and incorporate them for something in his language whereby he comes to value a house more than he does his hog pen, you got a problem. He will soon be in your house. This is state of emergency. Wake up, wake up, wake up. All praise to the most high. Wake up, a state of emergency. Wake up, wake up, wake up. It's an emergency. Wake up, a state of emergency. Wake up, wake up, wake up. It's an emergency. Shake up, a state of emergency. Wake up. To lyrics like they perjury Blessing me rolling off of their tongue like they ain't hurting me So are you been doing spiritual warfare with armory Double edged sword cutting their tongue out like in surgery Devils wanna murder me I speak life till they fall in love with me And sacrifice hatred, envy, and greed I'm from the streets and spitting this fire I'm dog king, nappy head, drag head, ball game, reigning supreme Steady pushing through America, working hard for the dream But I'm never falling asleep I'm living life for the keep And what I sow's what I reap They calling me king I bring the wisdom of Amashiach inside of the ring Slicing devils with proverbs You see the bloodstream flowing through the rivers of Egypt Let my people be free To serve the God of the Tanakh Burukashim Hustle with determination to the families we This is state of emergency Wake up, wake up, wake up since the urgency Jacob, a state of emergency Wake up, wake up, wake up since the urgency Wake up, a state of emergency Wake up, wake up, wake up Verse 1 of 8. This is 
a state of emergency. Wake up, wake up, wake up, sense of urgency. Jacob, a state of emergency. Wake up, wake up, wake up, sense of urgency. Wake up, a state of emergency. Wake up, wake up, wake up, sense of urgency. Jacob, a state of emergency. Wake up, wake up. Let us take a quick examination of some of the methods, the strategy employed by white liberals to harness and exploit the political potential energies of the so-called Negro in America. The crooked politicians in Washington, D.C. always make a big noise over the proposed civil rights legislation. By blowing up the civil rights issue, this lends stature to the Negro civil rights leaders. And once the image of these Negro civil rights leaders has been built up way beyond their proper proportion, these same Negro civil rights leaders are then used to influence and control the Negro voters for the benefit of the white politicians who pose as liberals and who pose as the friend of the Negro. The white liberals control the Negroes and the Negro vote by controlling the Negro civil rights leaders. As long as they control the Negro civil rights leaders, they can also control and contain the Negro's struggle. They can control the Negro so-called revolt. And I must point out right here, there's no such thing as a Negro revolution. There's a black revolution, but not a Negro revolution. Who ever heard of a nonviolent revolution? Who ever heard of a peaceful revolution? Who ever heard of revolutionaries standing up like chumps with locked arms singing, We Shall Overcome? <laughs> Who ever heard of a revolution based on a desegregated lunch counter and a desegregated theater and a desegregated public park? and a desegregated toilet, which they call public accommodation. Revolutions are based on land, and they are brought about by the landless against the landlord. The Negro Revolution is controlled by white liberals, as the Negro Revolution is controlled by white liberals. It's controlled by the government. But the Black Revolution is controlled by God. This man of God cannot be controlled in any way by the white man. And he will not compromise in any way with the wrongs that this government has inflicted upon our people. The Negro revolt is a backfire. It's controlled by the white man. The Negro revolt is controlled by the government. The leaders of the Negro revolt, the so-called Negro civil rights leaders, are subsidized influenced and controlled by white liberals in all of the demonstrations that are taking place in this country for desegregated lunch counters, theaters, public toilets are just artificial fires that have been instigated by white liberals and is being called the Negro Revolt in hope that they can use it to fight off the real black revolution that has already swept through Asia and swept through Africa and is getting started in Latin America and is now manifesting itself here in this country. 
Can we prove what we say? Can we prove that the Negro revolt is controlled by white liberals? Yes. Right after the Birmingham explosion, right after the police dogs, the police clubs, and the fire hoses last May, the New York Times on May the 15th, on page 26, reported President Kennedy and his brother Robert Kennedy, two gentlemen whom I'm certain all of you are familiar, after a luncheon with several newspaper editors from the state of Alabama, some of their Democratic colleagues, or I should say Democrat colleagues, the Times reported the president as warning these editors that they must give at least some token gains to the moderate Negro leaders in order to enhance the image of these moderate Negro leaders in the eyesight of the black masses. Otherwise, he warned, the masses of Negroes might turn to the direction of Negro extremists. And he named the black Muslims as being foremost among these Negro extremists. So he tried to get them to build up the image of the moderate Negro leader, what he called or termed the responsible Negro leader. And whenever you hear a white man refer to a Negro leader as a responsible Negro leader, he means a Negro leader who's responsible to him. In essence, the president was admitting to these Southern editors that he was trying to build up the weak image of the Negro civil rights leaders in order to offset the, the strong religious image of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. He wasn't giving these Negro leaders anything that they deserved, but he was admitting the necessity of building them up and propping them up in order to hold the masses of black people in check, keep them in his grasp and under his control. The president knew that once the Negroes follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, once they're exposed to his doctrine, the white liberal can never influence Negroes or control those Negroes or use those Negroes for the political benefit of white liberals any longer. Dr. Martin Luther King's image had been shattered the previous year when he failed to bring about desegregation in Albany, Georgia. The other uh, Negro civil rights leaders had also become fallen idols. The masses of black people across the country, at the local level, had begun to lead themselves and to take their cases to the streets on their own. The government in Washington knew that something had to be done to get the Negroes back into the corral, back under the control of the white liberal. The government immediately began to put out the propaganda, encouraging Negroes to follow only what it called responsible Negro leadership. And as I said, by responsible Negro leaders, the government actually meant Negro leaders who were responsible to the government and who could therefore be controlled by the government. The government knows that Mr. Muhammad is responsible only to God and can be controlled only by God. <laughs> Last May, right after the police dogs, fire hoses, 
and police clubs. The Birmingham Negroes exploded. They rioted. They erupted. And during the many long weeks when the police dogs and clubs and water hoses were brutalizing Negro women and Negro children and Negro babies, and the Negroes had, to, had called Negro leaders, had called for a federal intervention of troops by the president, the president sat on his hands, saying there was nothing he could do. But when the Negroes erupted in self-defense, the president then sent in federal troops, not to defend Negroes, but to defend the whites against whom the Negroes had finally erupted. There are many of you who may get a little indignant at what I say about the president, but it's a matter of record. As long as the dogs were biting black children, as long as the dogs were biting black women, as long as the dogs were biting black babies, and the Negro leaders cried to Washington, D.C. for the intervention of federal troops, the president, one of your fellow city citizens, told them there was no law on the statute books that he could use to intervene. But when black people erupted and started taking the heads of white people, the troops arrived the next morning. At that point, all over the country, spontaneous demonstrations began to take place. Negroes began to talk about how they were going to march on Washington and tie up the Senate and tie up the Congress and tie up the White House, how they were going to lay their bodies across the runaway at the airport and stop the airplanes from taking off or from landing, bring all traffic to a halt. And as much as this president travels by plane, he really would have been in bad shape. <laughs> this frightened the government. It frightened the white power structure in Washington, D.C. The president called in the Negro civil rights leaders and told them to bring this thing to a stop. They had gone far enough. They were deviating from the script. But the Negro civil rights leaders told the president they couldn't stop it because they didn't start it. They couldn't bring it to a halt. They weren't even leading it. It's spontaneous. It's at the grassroots level. It's in the hands of the masses. It's in the streets. It has no leadership whatsoever. That was why it was so militant. When the president saw that he couldn't stop it, he joined it. He endorsed it. He welcomed it. He became a part of it. And it was he who put the six Negro civil rights leaders at the head of it. It was he who made them the big six. How did he do it? How did he gain control of the march on Washington? A study of his strategy will give you a glimpse of the political genius of the family that now rules the country from the White House and how they use the Negro to do it. The president endorsed the march that should have been, that should have been the tip-off. A few days after he endorsed it, in New York City, at the Carlisle Hotel, a hotel which I think if you investigate, you'll find belongs to that 
illustrious family. A philanthropic society called the Taconic Foundation, headed by a white man, a white liberal named Stephen Currier, called a meeting of the six civil rights leaders in an effort to bring about unity of action and unity of purpose among all the civil rights groups. These six civil rights groups were shown how they were destroying themselves by divisions and by attacks upon each other. And it was suggested that since most of their divisions stemmed from their competition for funds from white liberals, they should unite their fundraising efforts. If you check the paper, you'll find that right after the Birmingham explosion, Martin Luther King began to run all over the country participating in fundraising rallies. And Roy Wilkins accused him of starting trouble and expecting the NAACP to get him out and pay the bills while they run all over the country and took all the money. And it caused a lot of friction. So this white liberal, they knew it. And they brought these six Negro leaders together and talked to them, told them, don't rock the boat. They formed the Council for United Civil Rights Leadership for fundraising purposes. They chose as chairman of this council the Urban League's Whitney Young and Stephen Currier, the white liberal, as co-chairman. It took this white liberal to bring all the six Negro civil rights groups together. It took this white liberal to unite these six into one group. And then he let them select their own chairman, but he himself became co-chairman, which placed him and the Taconic Foundation in position to exercise influence and control over the civil rights leaders and through them control over the entire civil rights, Negro civil rights movement, plus the March on Washington. According to the New York Times, dated August 4, 1963, $800,000 was split up between these six Negro civil rights organizations on June the 19th, and another 700000 was promised after the march. Public relations experts were made available to them immediately. They were given access to the news media across the country, and the press immediately began to project the big six as the leaders of the March on Washington. As soon as they became looked upon in the public eye as being in control of the march, as being leaders of the march, as being the organizers of the march and inseparable from the march image, the, their next step was to invite four white liberals to become a part of the Godhead or group of leaders who would ultimately okay all plans and therefore thereby completely control the march. These four white liberals, Walter Ruther, a Jewish rabbi, a priest, and a pastor from Protestants, represented the same factions that had put the president in Washington, D.C. Catholic liberals, Protestant liberals, Jewish liberals, and labor. When the president had learned that he couldn't stop the march, he joined it and got all his friends to join it. This is the way the white liberals took over the march on Washington. This is the way they weakened its impact. 
and changed its course. By changing the participants, by changing the contents, they were able to change the very nature of the march itself. An example, if I have a cup of coffee that's too strong for me because it's too black, I weaken it by pouring cream into it. I integrate it with cream. If I keep pouring enough cream in the coffee, pretty soon the entire flavor of the coffee is changed. The nature of the coffee is changed. And if enough cream is poured in, eventually you don't even know that I have coffee in my cup. This is what happened with the March on Washington. They didn't integrate it. They infiltrated it. Whites joined it. They engulfed it. They became so much a part of it, it lost its original fla flavor. It ceased to be a black march. It ceased to be militant. It ceased to be angry. It ceased to be impatient. In fact, it ceased to be a march. It became a farce. It became a picnic, an outing with a festive, circus-like atmosphere, with clowns and all. The government had learned that most of these demonstrations where black people predominate are very militant and oftentimes lead to violence. But to the same degree that whites participate, violence most times is decreased. I watched a white clergyman on the, t on the TV news in New York when the Negroes were picketing the downstate medical center in Brooklyn. I think the man's name was Potter or Cooper or something, I forget. He's somehow official in, the, in, in one of these Protestant churches. And they asked him why he was out there picketing, a white man. And he told them on the news, I just came back from Washington talking with the Attorney General. And he told me that their statistics had shown that wherever these demonstrations take place and they're predominantly black, they're too militant and too prone toward violence. And they had discovered that when whites participate, to the same degree that whites participate, the militancy decreases and violence is eliminated, minimized. So when these whites join these Negroes and they're demonstrating, there's two different motives. The Negroes are demonstrating for freedom, but the whites are out there demonstrating to keep the Negroes from getting too far out of line. The government found out that this is the only way black people could be held in check. The government told the marchers on Washington what time to arrive in Washington, where to arrive, and when to arrive. Then the government channeled them from the arrival point to the feet of a dead president named Washington and let them march from there to the feet of another dead president named Lincoln. <laughs> The original black militants had planned to march on the White House, on the Senate, on the Congress, but the shrewd politicians in Washington, D.C., realizing that these black militants could not be stopped, joined them, and thereby these white liberals were able to lead them away from the White House, away from the Capitol, away from the Senate, and away from the Congress 
and away from victory by keeping them marching between the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Monument, marching between the feet of two dead men. The march was controlled by the president. The government told the marchers what signs to carry, what songs to sing, what speeches they could make and what speeches they could not make. And then the government told them to be sure and get out of town by sundown. <laughs> and all those Negro Uncle Toms were out of town by sundown. One of the six Negro leaders, John Lewis, chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, was stopped from making a militant speech. The speech was censored by the Reverend Patrick O'Boyle, the Catholic Archbishop of Washington, D.C. Catholic clergyman doesn't speak on his own. He doesn't have that latitude. When he opens up his mouth, that's the church speaking. This was a case in which the Catholic Church itself, for whom Reverend O'Boyle speaks, put itself in a position of censoring one of the six Negro civil rights leaders. This shows John F. Kennedy's shrewd strategy. In fact, that's what that F stands for, the fox. <laughs> This Catholic, Catholic president placed the Catholic bishop in a, in a position to exercise censorship over any one of the six Negro civil rights leaders who tried to deviate from the script in that great performance or show that the government itself had controlled from the very beginning. So in the final analysis of the march, it would have to be classified as the best performance of the year. In fact, the best performance of the century. It topped anything that Hollywood could have produced. And if we were going to give out Academy Awards in 1963, we would have to nominate John the Fox. for an Oscar for the producer of the year. And to the four white liberals also goes an Oscar for, for the best actors. They really acted like sincere liberals and fooled many Negroes. And to the six Negro civil rights leaders also should go an Oscar for the best supporting cast. <laughs> They lent their support to what they knew was nothing but an act, nothing but a show, nothing but a farce. Now that the show is over, the black masses are still without jobs, still without homes, and still without land. Their Christian churches are being bombed. Their little girls are being murdered. What did the march accomplish? The president has a bigger image as a liberal, 
The four whites have a bigger image as a liberal. The six Negroes have bigger images as leaders. But the black masses are still unemployed, still in the slums, are still hungry. And I might add they're getting angrier and more explosive every day. So in my conclusion, because of America's evil deeds and tricks and false promises against the so-called Negroes in this country, like Egypt and Babylon before her, America herself now stands before the bar of justice. America is now facing her day of judgment. And she can't escape because God himself is the judge. God himself is now the administrator of justice. And God himself is going to be the divine executor. Is it possible for America to escape this divine disaster? The Honorable Elijah Muhammad says that if America can't atone for the crimes that she has committed against 20 million so-called Negroes, if she can't undo the evils she has brutally and mercilessly heaped upon our people these past 400 years, then America has already signed her own doom. And our people here would be foolish to accept America's deceitful offers of integration at this late date, into a doomed society. How can America atone for these crimes? I must point out, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has already said, a desegregated theater or lunch counter won't solve the problem. Better jobs won't solve the problem. An integrated cup of coffee isn't sufficient pay for 400 years of slave labor. A better job in the white man's factory or business is at best only a temporary solution. The only lasting or permanent solution is complete separation on some land that we can call our own. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad says the race problem can be solved forever just by sending the 20 million ex-slaves back to our own homeland where we can then live in peace and harmony among our own people. But this government should provide the transportation, plus everything else we need to get started again in our own country. This government should give us everything we need in the form of machinery, tools, material, and finance, enough to last us from 20 to 25 years until we can become an independent people in our own right. And it's good that you've lived long enough to have some laughter left in you. If the American government is afraid to send us back to our own country, to our own people, then America must set aside some separate territory here in the Western Hemisphere where the two races can live apart from each other, since we certainly don't get along peacefully when we're together. The size of the territory can be judged or determined according to our own population. If we number one-seventh of the population, give us one-seventh of the land. That's our share. It must not be in the desert, but where there is plenty of rain and mineral wealth. We want fertile, productive land on which we can farm and provide our own people with food, clothing, and shelter. This government must supply the machinery and the other tools needed for us to dig the earth, give us everything we need that will 
take care of us for 20 to 25 years until we can produce and supply our own needs. So in my conclusion, I repeat, we want no part of integration with this wicked race that enslaved us. We want complete separation from this wicked race. But we should not be expected to leave America empty-handed. After 400 years of slave labor, we have some back pay coming, a bill that is owed that must be collected. If the government of America truly repents of its sins against our people and truly atones by giving us our true share, then America can save herself. But if America waits for God to step in and force her into a just settlement, God will take this entire continent away from America. For as the Bible says, God can give the entire kingdom to whomsoever he will, which only means God can give this entire continent to whomsoever he will. Thank you. How do you feel about voting? Voting? Yes. Can't you think about that? Because I want to be respectful to my ancestor, Frederick Douglass, who helped us get the vote in the first place. Okay. And Dr. King for helping us keep it. The black vote can be a serious and significant supplemental power and tactic and strategy that we use as part of a overall program of black liberation. Did you hear what I said? It can be one piece of an overall program for black liberation. My problem with Negroes is y'all want to make the vote the be-all and end-all of black reality. Let me ask you a question. How can the black vote be the be-all and end-all for black reality when everything you got in America, none of it came by a vote? You didn't get out of slavery by a vote. You ain't get the Voting Rights Act by a vote. You ain't get the Civil Rights Bill by a vote. You ain't get out of Jim Crow by a vote. Everything you got in America, you paid for it in blood. You got out of slavery in blood. You got the Civil Rights Bill in blood. You got the Voting Rights Act in blood. And guess what? You ain't, you're only going to get out of police genocide through blood, too. See, black people don't want to deal with the harsh reality of violent America. We had to fight for everything that we got. And we're going to have to fight for anything else we get. Here's my issue with voting. It will never work for us as long as we belong to the Democratic Party, Republican Party, Libertarian Party, Green Party. It'll never work. Why? Because the Democratic Party is a white racist institution. Right. The Republican Party is a white racist institution. And guess what? 99% of all black politicians in the state of Michigan belong to the Democratic Party. That means they slaves. There's no way you can belong to a white racist political party that does not have black people as a priority and think you're going to carry out our agenda post-election. The reason all black politicians in every state sell out black folks all the time is because most of them are Democrats, so they have to be loyal to the Democratic agenda. Okay. And with that... Most of them get their funding to run their campaign from the Democratic Party. Yes. So if we funding you 
And if we are advertising you, you're going to have to pay us back once you get in office. And this is why by the time the black state rep, U.S. rep, state senator, U.S. senator, council person, all the person, lieutenant governor, governor, when they get in office, they hardly do anything for black folks because they were already purchased by white folks before election. And they can't. So what I'm saying, you will know that Pontiac is serious when Pontiac stop letting black politicians choose them and we choose who we want to run for us. See, the way it's supposed to go. See, what we do, we let some Negro wake up and say, I want to represent you, vote. No, we supposed to go to them and say, we choosing you. Now, this is the incumbent mayor, and I know we got a sister in, in office right here. Yes, we okay, do. Okay, I don't know much about her, so I'm not speaking to her, okay, per se, unless she's a bourgeois, but I don't know her. Anyway, quiet! <laughs> Anyway, what we're supposed to do is say, listen, we want you to run for us. How much is it going to cost you to unseat the mayor? You might say, well, the mayor going to spend about $2 million on her campaign. She got Walmart. She got Pontiac, GM. She got everybody. For me to beat her, I'm going to need $2 million. That means they come to us. And as the people, we raise that $2 million. Just okay. like they raised it for whose chicken? Oh, Popeye. For Popeye. You raise it for the person you want to run for mayor. And now when they run, we paying for the radio advertisements. We paying for the magazine advertisements. We paying for the billboards. We paying for the campaign off. We paying for the campaign team. So when they get elected, they don't have to be accountable to white folks. Only people they got to be okay. accountable to is us. Right. Until we choose them, they'll never be loyal to us. So you can never take their money. Once you take their money. There is no such thing as black liberation being financed by white people. There is no such thing as black liberation being financed by white folks. Now, let me clarify this, because I don't want nobody in the audience to think that I'm saying, if you have a little project, let's say you work with uh, teenage girls, or you work with uh, homeless children, or you work with uh, brothers and sisters coming out of prison, and you're getting you a little state grant, community grant, for white folks to help them, I'm not talking about you. Okay. Because that's a small little something to do a small little something. I'm saying the major black organizations for change, NAACP has no business taking money from white folks because you claim to be a major organ for change. The Urban League has no business taking money from white folks because you claim to be a major organ for change. The Congressional Black Caucus has no business taking money from white folks because you claim to be a major organ for change. I'm saying the grassroots groups that claim they're here to make life better for black folks cannot at the same time take the money from white folks because the hand that pays is the hand that rules. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're Premier Trump and you ain't black, you can't do that to the black media. Come on, man. Get a life. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're Premier Trump and you ain't black, you can't do that to the black media. Come on, man. Get a life. One thing I've been critical about is I feel like you've been MIA during this global pandemic. Give me a little break here. <laughs> I'm following the rules. I haven't been out. <clears throat> I have a mask, I can walk outside, I have it on. I got secret servers outside, they get tested. And by the way, <clears throat> dead, dead, dead. Yeah. You don't know me. 
There's only a couple things everybody has in common in jail. One is I kicked everybody's ass. I, Talk like that. I, I need you to say that. You do. Uh, uh, oh, I'm in trouble. Yeah. You don't know me. People dead. 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 If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black, you can't do that to the black media. Come on, man. Get a life. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black, you can't do that to the black media. Come on, man. Get a life. fighting against this notion that you're not black enough unless you think a certain way, you vote a certain way, you speak a certain way, you do certain things. My whole life, I grew up military, pretty much neutral along the zone of can we all just get along no matter what we look like. I have biracial daughters, Melissa, you know them. This is more than just a little offensive. It is short-sighted. It is a blind spot for this former vice president. He should have gotten up immediately on whatever venue microphone he had. I would have said it for him immediately right there in the one that he already was in on The Breakfast Club and say, you know what, let me, let me restate that. But, you know, I think this says it better. It is black voices for Trump and their statement. I'm just going to read the first couple of sentences. White liberal elitists have continuously dictated which black Americans are allowed to come to the table and have a voice. It is clear now more than ever following these racist and dehumanizing remarks that Joe Biden believes black men and women are incapable of being independent or free thinking. He truly believes that a 77-year-old white man should dictate how black people should behave. Biden has a history of racial condescension and today he once again proved that a growing number of black Americans, and I have always known Joe Biden does not deserve our votes. That's Katrina Pearson, Trump 2020 senior advisor. You don't have to be any particular race to know when someone puts you down because you're different. The deeper you are, the darker it gets. Prosecutor pulled the pussy move. They got a nigga for his freedom. They call that shit politics. Politics. By the time a motherfucker use another roof to get even, they got brand new politics. Politics. It's all fucked up now. The sun going down on the nigga, and I see you don't smile the same. Though you walk through the valley of the land of the living, it's still the long mile to change. You can't hide in the seclusion of the shadow of death. Nothing else but the face is plain. The devil came down around the time the clock throws up. Cause there's another kind of time to change. Tuned in to the language of the friends of the court. A magic hand can't change the station. And the witnesses report us goes at the door. Knew each other out of blood relations. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong front line. Wrong squad, the marching place. 
orders to obey, the plug to break. Toy told you with a dead in Prosecutor pulled the pussy move. They got a nigga for his freedom. They call that shit politics. Politics. By the time a motherfucker use another roof to get even, they got brand new politics. Because you're a Mason or an Elf, 
And you sure don't catch hell because you're an American, because if you was an American, you wouldn't catch no hell. You catch hell because you're a black man. You catch hell, all of us catch hell for the same reason. So we are all black people, so-called Negroes, second-class citizens, ex-slaves. You are nothing but an ex-slave. You don't like to be told that. But what else are you? You are ex-slave. You didn't come here on the Mayflower. <laughs> you came here in a slave ship, in chains, like a horse or a cow or a chicken. And you were brought here by the people who came here on the Mayflower. You were brought here by the so-called pilgrims or founding fathers. They were the ones who brought you here. We have a common enemy. We have this in common. We have a common oppressor, a common exploiter, and a common di discriminator. So once we all realize that we have a, this common enemy, then we unite on the basis of what we have in common. And what we have foremost in common is that enemy, the white man. He's an enemy to all of us. I know some of you all think that some of them are enemies. Time will tell. In Bandung, back in, I think, 1954, was the first unity meeting in centuries of black people. And once you study what happened at the Bandung Conference and the results of the Bandung Conference, it actually serves as a model for the same procedure you and I can use to get our problems solved. At Bandung, all the nations came together. There were dark nations from Africa and Asia. Some of them were Buddhists. Some of them were Muslims. Some of them were Christians. Some of them were Confucian, Confucianists. Some were atheists. Despite their religious differences, they came together. Some were communists. Some were socialists. Some were capitalists. Despite, despite their economic and political differences, they came together. All of them were black, brown, red, or yellow. The number one thing that was not allowed to attend the Bandung Conference was the white man. He couldn't come. Once they excluded the white man, they found that they could get together. Once they kept him out, everybody else fell right in and fell in line. This is the thing that you and I have to understand. And these people who came together didn't have nuclear weapons. They didn't have jet planes. They didn't have all of the heavy armaments that the white man has. But they had unity. They were able to submerge their little petty differences and agree on one thing, that though one African came from Kenya and was being colonized by the Englishman, and another African came from the Congo and was being colonized by the Belgian. And another African came from Guinea and was being colonized by the French. And another came from Angola and was being colonized by the Portuguese. When they came to the Bandung Conference, they looked at the Portuguese and at the Frenchmen and at the Englishmen and at the, the other Dutchmen. And, and learn or realize that the one thing that all of them had in common, they were all from Europe. They were all from, they were all Europeans. Blonde, blue-eyed, and white-skinned. They began to recognize who their enemy was. The same man that was colonizing our people in Kenya was colonizing our people in the Congo. 
The same one in the Congo was colonizing our people in South Africa and in southern Rhodesia and in Burma and in India and in Afghanistan and in Pakistan. They realized all over the world where a dark man was being oppressed, he was being oppressed by the white man. Where the dark man was being exploited, he was being exploited by the white man. So they got together under this basis that they had a common enemy. And when you and I here in Detroit and in Michigan and in America, who have been awakened today, look around us, we too realize here in America, we all have a common enemy. Whether he's in Georgia or Michigan, whether he's in California or New York, he's the same man. Blue eyes and blonde hair and pale skin. Same man. to do is what they did. They agreed to stop quarreling among themselves. Any little spat that they had, they settled it among themselves. Go into a huddle. Don't let the enemy know that you got a disagreement. Instead of us airing our differences in public, we have to realize we're all the same family. And when you have a family squabble, you don't get out on the sidewalk. If you do, everybody calls you uncouth. Unrefined, uncivilized, savage. If you don't make it at home, you take, you settle it at home. You get in the closet, argue it out behind closed doors. And then when you come out on the street, you pose a common front, a united front. And this is what we need to do in the community and in the city and in the state. We need to stop airing our differences in front of the white man. Put the white man out of our meetings, number one and then sit down and talk shop with each other. I would like to make a few comments concerning the difference between the black revolution and the Negro revolution. There's a difference. Are they both the same? And if they're not, what is the difference? What is the difference between a black revolution and a Negro revolution? First, what is a revolution? Sometimes I'm inclined to believe that many of our people are using this word revolution loosely without taking careful consideration what this word actually means and what its historic characteristics are. When you study the historic nature of revolutions, the motive of a revolution, the objective of a revolution, and the result of a revolution, and the methods used in a revolution, you may change words. You may devise another program. You may change your goal and you may change your mind. Look at the American Revolution. In 1776, that revolution was for what? For land. How was it? Why did they want land? Independence. How was it carried out? Bloodshed. Number one, it was based on land. The basis of independence. 
And the only way they could get it was bloodshed. The French Revolution, what was it based on? The land left against the landlord. What was it for? Land. How did they get it? Bloodshed. Was no love lost. Was no compromise. Was no negotiation. I'm telling you, you don't know what our revolution is. Because when you find out what it is, you'll get back in the alley. You'll get out of the way. <laughs> the moment. The Russian Revolution. What was it based on? Land. The land left against the land law. How did they bring it about? Bloodshed. You haven't got a revolution that doesn't involve bloodshed. And you're afraid to bleed. I said you're afraid to bleed. Long as the white man sent you to Korea, you bled. He sent you to Germany, you bled. He sent you to the South Pacific to fight the Japanese, you bled. You bleed for white people. But when it comes time to seeing your own churches being bombed and little black girls murdered, you haven't got no blood. You bleed when the white man says bleed. You bite when the white man says bite. And you bark when the white man says bark. I hate to say this about us, but it's true. How are you going to be nonviolent in Mississippi as violent as you were in Korea? How can you justify being nonviolent in Mississippi and Alabama when your churches are being bombed and your little girls are being murdered? And at the same time, you're going to get violent with Hitler and Tojo and somebody else that you don't even know. <laughs> if violence is wrong in America, violence is wrong abroad. If it's wrong to be violent, defending black women and black children and black babies and black men, then it's wrong for America to draft us and make us violent abroad in defense of her. And if it is right for America to draft us and teach us how to be violent in defense of her, then it is right for you and me to do whatever is necessary to defend our own people right here in this country. The Chinese Revolution, they wanted land. They threw the British out, along with the Uncle Tom Chinese. Yeah, they did. They set a good example. When I was in prison, I read an article in, don't be shocked when I say I was in prison, you're still in prison. <laughs> That's 
what America means, prison. When I was in prison, I read an article in Life magazine showing a little Chinese girl, nine years old. Her father was on his hands and knees, and she was pulling the trigger because he was an Uncle Tom Chinaman. When they had the revolution over there, they took a whole generation of Uncle Toms, just wiped them out. And within 10 years, that little girl became a full-grown woman. No more Toms in China. And today, today is one of the toughest, roughest, most feared countries on this earth, by the white man, because there are no Uncle Toms over there. <laughs> studies, history is best qualified to reward all research. And when you see that you've got problems, all you have to do is examine the historic method used all over the world by others who had problems similar to yours. And once you see how they got theirs straight, then you know how you can get yours straight. <laughs> Please. There's been a revolution, a black revolution going on in Africa. In Kenya, the Mau Mau were revolutionaries. They were the ones who made the word Uhuru. They were the ones who brought it to the fore. The Mau Mau, they were revolutionaries. They believed in scorched earth. They knocked everything aside that got in their path. And their revolution also was based on land, a desire for land. In Algeria, the northern part of Africa, a revolution took place. The Algerians were revolutionists. They wanted land. France offered to let them be integrated into France. They told the France to hell with France. They wanted some land, not some France. <laughs> and they engaged in a bloody battle. So I cite these various revolutions, brothers and sisters. To show you, you don't have a peaceful revolution. You don't have a, a, a turn-the-other-cheek revolution. There's no such thing as a non-violent revolution. Only thing, only kind of revolution that's non-violent is the Negro Revolution. The only revolution based on loving your enemy is the Negro Revolution. The only revolution in which the goal is a desegregated lunch counter, a desegregated theater, a desegregated park, and a desegregated public toilets. You can sit down next to white folks on the toilet. <laughs> That's no revolution. Revolution is based on land. Land is the basis of all independence. Land is the basis of freedom, justice, and equality. The white man knows what a revolution is. He knows that the black revolution is worldwide, in scope, and in nature. The black revolution is sweeping Asia, sweeping Africa. It's rearing its head in Latin America. The Cuban Revolution, that's a revolution. 
They overturned the system. Revolution is in Asia. Revolution is in Africa. And the white man is screaming because he sees revolution in Latin America. How do you think he'll react to you when you learn what a real revolution is? You don't know what a revolution is. If you did, you wouldn't use that word. A revolution is bloody. Revolution is hostile. Revolution knows no compromise. Revolution overturns and destroys everything that gets in its way. And you sitting around here like a knot on the wall saying, I'm going to love these folks no matter how much they hate me. No, you need a revolution. was pointing out beautifully, singing, we shall overcome. <laughs> Just tell me, you don't do that in a revolution. You don't do any singing, you're too busy swinging. <laughs> it's based on land. A revolutionary wants land so he can set up his own nation, an independent nation. These Negroes aren't asking for no nation. They're trying to crawl back on the plantation. When you want a nation, that's called nationalism. When the, when the white man became involved in a revolution in this country against England. What was it for? He wanted this land so he could set up another white nation. That's white nationalism. The American Revolution was white nationalism. The French Revolution was white nationalism. The um, Russian Revolution, too, yes, it was white nationalism. You don't think so? Why do you think Khrushchev and Mao can't get their heads together. White nationalism. All the revolutions that's going on in, in Asia, in Africa today, are based on what? Black nationalism. A revolutionary is a black nationalist. He wants a nation. I was reading some beautiful uh, words by Reverend Cleve, pointing out why he couldn't get together with someone else here in the city. <laughs> because all of, all of them were afraid of being identified with black nationalism. If you're afraid of black nationalism, you're afraid of revolution. And if you love revolution, you love black nationalism. you have to go back to what young brother here referred to as the house Negro and the field Negro back during slavery. There was two kinds of slaves. There was the house Negro and the field Negro. The house Negro, they lived in the house with master. They dressed pretty good. 
They ate good because they ate his food. But he left. <laughs> they lived in the attic or the basement, but still they lived near their master. And they loved their master more than the master loved himself. They would, they would give their life to save their master's house quicker than the master would. The house Negro, if the master said, we got a good house here, the house Negro said, yeah, we got a good house here. Whenever the master said we, he said we. That's how you can tell a house Negro. If the, master's, if the master's house caught on fire, the house Negro would fight harder to put the blaze out than the master would. If the master got sick, the house Negro would say, what's the matter, boss? We sick. We sick. He identified himself with his master more than his master identified with himself. And if you came to the house Negro and said, let's run away, let's escape, let's separate, that house Negro would look at you and say, man, you crazy. What you mean separate? Where is there a better house than this? Where can I wear better clothes than this? Where can I eat better food than this? That was that house Negro. In those days, he was called a house nigger. And that's what we call him today because we still got some house niggers running around here. This modern house Negro loves his master. He wants to live near him. He'll pay three times as much as the house is worth just to live near his master. And then brag about, I'm the only Negro out here. I'm the only one on my job. I'm the only one in this school. You're nothing but a house Negro. And if someone come to you right now and say, let's separate, you say the same thing that the house Negro said on the plantation. What you mean, separate? From America? This good white man? Where are you going to get a better job than you get here? I mean, this is what you say. I, I ain't left nothing in Africa. That's what you say. Why, you left your mind in Africa. there was the field Negro. The field Negro, those were the masters. There was always more Negroes in the field than there was Negroes in the house. The Negro in the field caught hell. He ate leftovers. In the house, they ate high up on the hull. The Negro in the field didn't get nothing but what was left of the insides of the hull. They call them Chetlins nowadays. <laughs> In those days, they call them what they were, guts. That's what you were, a gut eater. And some of you are all still gut eaters. <laughs> the field Negro was beaten. From morning till night, he lived in a shack, in a hut. 
He wore cast-off clothes. He hated his master. I say he hated his master. He was intelligent. That house Negro loved his master. But that field Negro, remember, they were in the majority. And they hated his master. When the house caught on fire, he didn't try and put it out. That field Negro prayed for a wind. For a breeze. When the master got sick, the field Negro prayed that he died. If someone comes to the field Negro and says, let's separate, let's run, he didn't say, where are we going? He said, any place is better than here. You got field Negroes in America today. I'm a field Negro. The masters are the field Negroes. When they see this man's house on fire, you don't hear these little Negroes talking about our government is in trouble. They say the government is in trouble. Imagine a Negro, our government. I even heard one say, our astronauts. They won't even let him near the plant. And our astronauts, our Navy, that's a Negro that's out of his mind. That's a Negro that's out of his mind. Just as the slave master in that day used Tom, the house Negro, to keep the field Negroes in check, the same old slave master today has Negroes who are nothing but modern Uncle Toms, 20th century Uncle Toms, to keep you and me in check, keep us under control, keep us passive and peaceful and nonviolent. That's Tom making you nonviolent. It's like when you go to the dentist and the man is going to take your tooth. You're going to fight him when he starts pulling. So it is. Grip some stuff in your jaw called Novocaine to make you think they're not doing anything to you. So you sit there and because you got all that Novocaine in your jaw, you suffer peacefully. <laughs> Blood running all down your jaw and you don't know what's happening. Because someone has taught you to suffer peacefully. The white man do the same thing to you in the street. When he going to want to put knots on your head and take advantage of you and don't have to be afraid of you fighting back, to keep you from fighting back, he get these old religious Uncle Toms to teach you and me that just like Novocaine, suffer peacefully. Don't stop suffering, just suffer peacefully. As Reverend Cleve pointed out, let your blood flow in the streets. This is a shame. And you know he's a Christian preacher. If it's a shame to him, you know what it is to me. There's nothing in our book, the Koran, as you call it, Koran, teaches us to suffer peacefully. Our religion teaches us to be intelligent, be peaceful, 
Be courteous. Obey the law. Respect everyone. But if someone puts his hand on you, send them to the cemetery. That's a good religion. In fact, that's that all-time religion. That's the one that Ma and Pa used to talk about. An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth, and a head for a head, and a life for a life. That's a good religion. And then anybody, no one resents that kind of religion being taught but a wolf who intends to make you his meal. This is the way it is with the white man in America. He's a wolf, and you a sheep. Anytime a shepherd, a pastor, teach you and me not to run from the white man, and at the same time teachers don't fight the white man, he's a traitor to you and me. Don't lay down our life all by itself. No. Preserve your life. It's the best thing you got. And if you got to give it up, let it be even Stephen. The slave master took Tom and dressed him well and fed him well and even gave him a little education, a little education. Gave him a long coat and a top hat and made all the other slaves look up to him. Then he used Tom to control them. The same strategy that was used in those days is used today by the same white man. He take a Negro, so-called Negro, and make him prominent. Build him up, publicize him, make him a celebrity. And then he becomes a spokesman for Negro and a Negro leader. I would like to just mention one thing else quickly, and that is the, the uh, method that the white man uses, how the white man uses these big guns or Negro leaders against the black revolution. They're not a part of the black revolution. They're used against the black revolution. When Martin Luther King failed to desegregate Albany, Georgia, the civil rights struggle in America reached its low point. King became bankrupt almost as a leader. Plus, even financially, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference was in financial trouble, plus it was in trouble, period, with the people when they failed to uh, desegregate Albany, Georgia. Other Negro civil rights leaders of so-called national stature became fallen idols. As they became fallen idols, began to lose their prestige and influence, local Negro leaders began to stir up the masses. In Cambridge, Maryland, Gloria Richardson, in Danville, Danville, Virginia, and other parts of the country, local leaders begin to stir up our people at the grassroots level. This was never done by these Negroes whom you recognize of national stature. 
They controlled you, but they never incited you or excited you. They controlled you. They contained you. They kept you on the plantation. As soon as King failed in Birmingham, Negroes took to the streets. King got out and went out to California to a big rally and raised about, I don't know how many thousands of dollars. Come to Detroit and had a march and raised some more thousands of dollars. And recall, right after that, Wilkins attacked King, accused King and the Corps of starting trouble everywhere and then making the NAACP get him out of jail and spend a lot of money. And then he accused King and Corps of raising all the money and not paying it back. This happened. I got it in documented evidence in the newspaper. Roy started attacking King, and King started attacking Roy, and Farmer started attacking both of them. And as these Negroes of national stature begin to attack each other, they begin to lose their control of the Negro masses. And Negroes was out there in the streets. They was talking about, we're going to march on Washington. By the way, and right at that time, Birmingham had exploded, and the Negroes in Birmingham, remember, they also exploded. They began to stab the crackers in the back and bust them upside the head. Yes, they did. That's when Kennedy sent in the truth down in Birmingham. So, and right after that, Kennedy got on the television and said, this is a moral issue. So that's when he said he's going to put out a civil rights bill. And when he mentioned civil rights bill and the Southern crackers start talking about they were going to boycott it or filibuster it, then the Negroes start talking about what? We're going to march on Washington, march on the Senate, march on the White House, march on the Congress and tie it up. Bring it to a halt. Don't let the government proceed. They even said they were going to go out to the airport and lay down on the runaway and don't let no airplanes land. I'm telling you what they said. That was revolution. That was revolution. That was the Black Revolution. It was the grassroots out there in the street. Scared the white man to death. Scared the white power structure in Washington, D.C. to death. I was there. When they found out that this black steamroller was going to come down on the Capitol, they called in Wilkins. They called in Randolph. They called in these national Negro leaders that you respect and told them, call it off. Kennedy said, look, y'all letting this thing go too far. And old Tom said, boss, I can't stop it because I didn't stop it. <laughs> I'm telling you what they said. They said, I'm not even in it, much less at the head of it. They said, these Negroes are doing things on their own. They're running ahead of us. And that old shrewd fox, he said, well, if you all aren't in it, I'll put you in it. I'll put you at the head of it. I'll endorse it. I'll welcome it. I'll help it. I'll join it. The very a matter of hours went by. They had a meeting at the Carlisle Hotel in New York City. The Carlisle Hotel is owned by the Kennedy family. That's the hotel Kennedy spent the night at two nights ago. Belongs to his family. A, a philanthropic society headed by a white man named Stephen Currier called all the top civil rights leaders together at the Carlisle Hotel and told them that by you all fighting each other, you're destroying the civil rights movement. And since you're fighting over money from white liberals, let us set up what's known as the Council for United Civil Rights Leadership. Let's form this council 
and all the civil rights organizations will belong to it and will use it for fundraising purposes. Let me show you how tricky the white man is. And as soon as they got it formed, they elected uh, uh, Whitney Young as the chairman. And who do you think became the co-chairman? Stephen Currier, the white man. A millionaire. Powell was talking about it down at the Cobo today. This is what he was talking about. Powell knows it happened. Randolph knows it happened. Wilkins knows it happened. King knows it happened. Every one of that so-called big six. They know what happened. Once they formed it, with the white man over it, he promised them and gave them $800,000 to split up between the big six. And told them that after the march was over, they'd give them 700000 more. A million and a half dollars split up between the leaders that you've been following, going to jail for, crying crocodile tears for. And they've nothing but Frank James and Jesse James and uh, what you call it, brothers. <laughs> Soon as they, they got the setup organized, the white men made available to them top public relations experts. Opened the news media across the country at their disposal. And then they began to project these big six as the leaders of the march. Originally, they weren't even in the march. You were talking this march talk on Hastings Street. Is Hastings Street still here? On Hastings Street. You were talking the march talk on Lenox Avenue, and down on, uh, what's it called, Fillmore Street, and Central Avenue, and 42nd Street, and 63rd Street. That's where the march talk was being talked. But the white man put the big six ahead of it, made them the march. They became the march. They took it over. And the first move they made after they took it over, they invited Walter Ruther, a white man. They invited a priest, a, uh, a rabbi, and an old white preacher. Yeah, the old white preacher. The same white element that put Kennedy in power, labor, the Catholics, the Jews, and liberal Protestants. Same clique that put Kennedy in power joined the March on Washington. It's just like when you got some coffee that's too black, which means it's too strong. What you do? You integrate it with cream. <laughs> You make it weak. If you pour uh, too much cream in, you won't even know you ever had coffee. It used to be hot, it becomes cool. It used to be strong, it becomes weak. It used to wake you up, now it'll put you to sleep. <laughs> this is what they did with the March on Washington. They joined it. They didn't integrate it. They infiltrated it. They joined it. Became a part of it. Took it over. And as they took it over, it lost its militancy. They ceased to be angry. They ceased to be hot. They ceased to be uncompromising. Why, it even ceased to be a march. It became a picnic. 
A circus. Nothing but a circus with clowns and all. We had one right here in Detroit. I saw it on television with clowns leading it, white clowns and black clowns. I know you don't like what I'm saying, but I'm going to tell you anyway, because I can prove what I'm saying. If you think I'm telling you wrong, you bring me Martin Luther King and A. Philip Randolph and James Farmer and uh, those other three and see if they'll deny it over the microphone. No, it was a sellout. It was a takeover. When James Baldwin came in from Paris, they wouldn't let him talk because they couldn't make him go by the script. Bert Lancaster wrote the speech that Baldwin was supposed to make. They wouldn't let Baldwin get up there because they know Baldwin liable to say anything. They controlled it so tight, they told those Negroes what time to hit town, how to come, where to stop, what sign to carry, what speech they could make and what speech they couldn't make, and then told them to get out of town by sundown. <laughs> And every one of those times were out of town by sundown. Now, I know you don't like my saying this, but I can back it up. It was a circus, a performance that beat anything Hollywood could ever do. The performance of the year. Ruther and those other three devils should get an Academy Award for the best actors because they acted like they really loved Negroes and fooled a whole lot of Negroes. And the six Negro leaders should get a, or an award, too, for the best supporting cast. No mystery God. Absolutely no mystery God. There is no God in the sky and there is no devil under the ground. Heaven is not in the sky and hell is not under the ground. Heaven and hell are conditions of the mind, states of existence, and states of being. And so Jesus told us to stop looking for heaven in the sky. He said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And that we are the temples of the living God. That the living God lives in our temple and he does not inhabit the sky, but he inhabits the higher realms of the heavens, of the realm of the secret innermost chambers of the subconscious chamber of the soul of man and woman, and this power bursts forth and emanates forth from him to set in motion a universal order based on principle and law. All of this set in motion by a divine power and a divine force that never dies. It's constant. It just changes forms. God is in man. Can't be in any man. He's got to be in the original man. Because if God is the first and everything comes from him, then he can't wait for anything else. He brings everything else into existence. There could be no white man if there were no black man. It is biologically and genetically impossible for the recessive white man to produce the dominant yellow baby. Biologically and genetically impossible
for the recessive yellow man and woman to produce the dominant brown baby. And biologically and genetically impossible for the recessive brown man and woman to produce the dominant black baby. But that black man and his woman, the father and the mother of it all, can produce black, can produce brown, can produce red, can produce yellow. And if the seed runs wild or mutates in the womb of the black woman, can even produce an albino, something which is whiter than white, 180 degrees in either direction. for people who did not get past. My grandparents, my grandparents, my mother, my father did not suffer and die to give me an education to slight, oppress, or discourage my people. Because whatsoever education I acquired out of those sacrifices of over 300 years, I shall use for the salvation of the 400 million black people of the people of the world. And the day when I forsake my people, may God Almighty say there shall be no more life for you. Critically rejected the racist assumption of much white American Christianity. Namely, that God had created the black man inferior and that he had intended Negroes to be a servant class, viewers of wooden vials of water. The life dedicated my view of man and the doctrine of Imago Dei, all men regardless of color are created in the image of God. Now, from this premise, follow the equality of all men and the brotherhood of all men. The biblical injunction of Acts 17.26 reminds us that he created of one blood all nations of men that dwell on the face of the earth. I was most interested in brotherhood within his own way. Because if Negroes are created in God's image and Negroes are black, then God must in some sense be black. <laughs> if the white man has the idea of a white God, let him watch it as God as he desires. We have found a new ideal. Because once our God has no color, and yet it is human to see everything through one's own spectacles, and since the white people have seen their God through their white spectacles, we have only now started to see our God through our own spectacles. For <laughs> so we believe in the God of Ethiopia, the everlasting God, God of Father, God of Son, God of Holy Ghost, the one God of our ages. That is the God in whom we believe, but we shall worship him through the spectacles of Ethiopia. For 240 years, we have struggled under the burden and rigors of slavery. We were maimed, we were brutalized, we were ravaged in every way. We are men. We have hopes, we have passions, we have feelings, we have desires just like any other race. The cries raised all over the world of Canada for the Canadians, of America for the Americans, of England for the English, of France for the French, of Germany for the Germans. Do you think it unreasonable that we, the black people, world, should raise the cry of Africa for the Africans? Yeah. Yeah. The Negro is a man, we represent the new Negro. This back is not yet against the world. We do not want this back against the world because that would be a peculiar and desperate position. We do not want him there. It is because of this that we are asking for fair compromise. So the Belgians have control of the Belgian Congo, which they cannot use. They have not the resources and intelligence. The French have more territory than they can develop. There are certain parts of Africa in which they cannot live at all. So it is for you to come together and give us a United States of Africa. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We are not going to be a race without a country. God never intended it, and we are not going to abuse God's confidence in us as men. We are men, human beings, capable of the same acts as any other race. Possession under fair circumstances the same intelligence as any other race. Now Africa's been sleeping, not dead, only sleeping. Today Africa's walking around not only on her feet, but on her brains. 
You can enslave as you've done for 300 years the bodies of men. You can shackle the hands of men. You can shackle the feet of men. You can imprison the bodies of men. But you cannot shackle or imprison the minds of men. black men and dig. Reach up black men and women and pull all nature's knowledge to you. Turn ye around and make a conquest of everything north and south, east and west. And then when you have wrought well, you will have merited God's blessing. You will have become God's chosen people and naturally you will become leaders of the world. And as you bow down to the white man today, so a lot of races bow down to you and call you a race of master because of the superiority of your mind and your achievement. Because no race has the last word on culture and civilization. They do not know what we are capable of. They do not know what we are thinking. They are thinking in terms of dreadnoughts, battleships, airplanes, submarines. You know what we are thinking about? That is our own private business. They will give us credit for being able to use our minds. And the people becoming conscious of themselves, determined to use their minds, you do not know to what extent they can go. Liberate the minds of men and ultimately you will liberate the bodies of men. We love the white race, not for social fellowship, but for the common brotherhood of God intended we should live. What satisfaction can anyone get in being happy and see his brother wallowing in self death and disease? How can you be happy living in luxury and your brother's living in disease? And then when you try to help the one out of the disease, the subtle culture talks about disloyalty. Black men of Carthage, black men of Ethiopia, Timbuktu, Alexandria gave the light of civilization to this world. Ethiopia shall stretch forth our hands unto God, and princes shall come out of Egypt. The classes, nations, races have been quite quiet for over four centuries. Who was merely born abuse, insult, humiliation? Whose forbearance can only be compared to the prophet Job, as likewise lifted his bowed head and raised it up to God's skies and cried out, I am a man, and I am a man's chance and a man's treatment in this world. But I shall teach the black man, I shall teach the black man to see beauty in his own kind and stop bleating his skin and otherwise looking like what he's not. miscegenation had occurred because the African woman had no protection from the slave master. Therefore, there is no need today for black people to themselves freely continue a practice that smacks so much of slavery. Our credit said that the race problem will be solved through higher education, through better education, and black and white will come together, that they will never happen until Africa is redeemed. Because if those who like W.E.B. De Bois believe that the race problem will be solved in America through higher education, they will walk between now and eternity and never see the problem solved. God made man lord of his creation, gave him possession and ownership of the world. And you have been so darned lazy that you have allowed the other fellow to run away with the whole world and now he's loving you and telling you that the world belongs to him and that you have no part in it. Uh, and you don't have to apologize to anybody for being black because God Almighty knew exactly what he was doing when he made me black. If black people knew their glorious past, then they would be more inclined to respect themselves. Yes, you heard of Johnny Walker Red. And black. Well, he had his adversities, but he's still going strong. <laughs> well, I intend, with your help and God's grace, to continue. Because my work has only just begun. 
and future generations shall have in their hands the guide by which they shall know the sins of the 20th century. I know and I know you too believe in time, but we shall wait patiently for 200 years if need be to face our enemies through our posterity. When my enemies are satisfied, in life I shall come back, or in death even to serve you as I saw before. In life I shall be the same, in death I shall be a terror. Oh, yes, the cause is grand, the cause is close. Surely we shall not turn back. 
سلام 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 و مایکی شب استیک سلام سلام ام کل فلاغ رو رد بلک نگین اسپوچ کنی هیلز اف دی افریکا بیکاز دی تایم اس کم فور دی بلک مان تو فرگت ایز ہیرو واشپ ابا دی ویس اند دی کریئیٹ ان امیلی ہیرو دی ویس وی مس کانانائز اور اون سینس کریئیٹ اور اون میٹرز ان ایلیویٹ دی پوزیشن دی فیم ان انہ بلک مین ان ویمن ہو اب میڈ ا ڈسٹنگ کانٹریبیوشن تو اور ریشل ہسٹری سجن His word of a place of sainthood alongside the throne of Ark. This was how it compared to William Garden, or entitled to the halo of martyrdom with no less glory than the martyrs of any other race. To St. Louis' brilliancy as a soldier or a statesman outshone that of any other people, hence he's entitled to the highest place as a hero among men. Because Africa's created millions and countless millions of black men and women in war and peace, whose luster and bravery outshone that of any, any other people. So why not see good and perfection in ourselves? We must inspire our literature and promulgate the doctrine of our own without any apologies to the powers that be. That's why this hour's hunger. Let sentiments and cross opinions go to the winds. We are entitled to our own opinions and are not obligated to or bound by the opinions of others. If others laugh at you, return the laughter to them. If they mimic you, return the compliment with equal force. Because they have no more right to dishonor, discredit you in manhood than you have in dealing with them. Honor them and they honor you. Disrespect and disregard them and they violently treat you. Their arrogance is but skin deep. An assumption that has no foundation in morals or in law. They have sprung from the same family tree of obscurity as we have. Their history is as rude in its primitiveness as ours. Their ancestors were running wild and living in trees of branches like monkeys of ours. They made human sacrifices, ate the flesh of their own dead and wild meat from beasts for centuries, even as they have accused us of doing. Their cannibalism is more prolonged than ours. When we were embracing the, the banks of the, of the Nile, they were still drinking blood out of the, out of the skulls of their conquered dead. After our civilization had reached the noonday of progress, they were still living in holes with fox, rats and other insects and animals. After we had already unfathomed the mystery of the stars and reduced the heavenly constellations to minute and regular calculus, there were still backwards men living in ignorant darkness. The world is indebted to us for the benefits of civilization. They stole our arts and sciences from Africa. Then why should we be ashamed of ourselves? The modern improvements to be, re to be reflected and resurrected by our generation and our posterity. Why should we be discouraged if somebody laughs at us today? Who's to tell what tomorrow will bring forth? Did they not laugh at Christ, Moses, Muhammad? Was there another a Carthage, Greece, and Rome? So we see and have changes every day. So pray, walk, be steadfast, and be not dismayed. Because as the Jew is held together by his religion, the white races by the assumption and the unwritten law of superiority, the Mongolian by the precious tie of blood, likewise the black man must unite in one grand racial hierarchy. Our union must know no crime, no nationality. But let us all hold together in every country and every crime, making a racial empire upon which the sun shall never set. Let no voice but your own speak to you from the depths. 
let no influence but your own rouse you in time of peace and time of war. Hear all, but attend only to that which concerns you. Your allegiance shall be to your God, your race, your country. Remember that the Jew in his political and economic heart is always first the Jew. The white man is first the white man under all circumstances, so you can do no less. Be black, buy black, think black, and all else will take care of itself. Let no one inoculate you with evil doctrines to suit his own convenience. Charity begins at home. So first to thyself be true, and thou canst not then be false to no man. But God and nature first made us what we are. And out of our own creative genius, we make ourselves what we want to be. Follow always that great law. Let God and the sky be our limit and eternity our measurement. There is no height to which you cannot climb without the active intelligence of your own mind. Mind creates, and as much as we desire in nature, we can have through the creation of our own mind. And the day being scientifically the weaker race, you shall treat others only as they treat But in your homes and everywhere possible, you must teach the higher development of science to your children. And make sure, and make sure that we have a race of scientists far excellent. For in religion and science lies our only hope to withstand the evil design of modern materialism. Never forget your God. Remember that we live, work, and pray for a binding racial hierarchy whose only natural, spiritual, and political limits shall be God and Africa at home and abroad. With one, with God's spirit blessings, I leave you for a while. One love. I don't know African star and I want to know if it's reaching out to all Huggins gang, all Washington Garden crew, Standpipe Massive, Father Star, alongside the African star crew, go on, big up my like Robbie. So you like you, Eugene, you don't know you're cool, still not watching nothing, and I have a time. It means all about no it inside the vice alcohol is outside the one garnet silk, alongside one capital, you like Harry Joe, you like Gary Jokes, don't watch nothing. I said, great is down there, we praise. And I said, just shall rise and all the enemies shall scatter, and they shall be like footstool, just shall trample them from now and forevermore. So, love, yeah, I just rest the fire and. As we draw, keep it on, God, it's still. Perfect love, my brother. Yay! Rest the fire, I highly salute to the first who lives and rules and reigns over all living things. Now his disciples ask him, Father Jah, what shall be the sign of thy coming? And Jah answered and said, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye not be troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet, for nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrow. Jump! Rest for I! I just lost the first, the only God, and there's no God beside him. Oh, well, no, no! Oh, yes, rest for I! Rapids, we love you from the heart, now, now, well! Every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall tell you. Jahi, the I, yes! Every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall tell you. 
going underground. I let you get the down with that fuck around. Trap house full of adolescents. Guillotine the best whole nigga. I'm the essence. Loud nigga coward. Sugar from a hood fairy. Call you work for blood. I be mercenary. True story. Your mama is the reason you're breathing. Black on the verse. We are both in no season. On the low low, I kick a sound. High side, I probably smoke a pound with the militant guys. Gorilla warfare like George Jackson. Crack up in an action. They love me because I'm a black dick. This show's on original scene and white demon. My elements be melanin, the hustling season. Pitching their pants up, pitching me stress. Pitching me straight up, cocking it back. Pitching me revolutionary black girl on top of the world. On top of the world. Pitching me a pants up, pitching me stress. Try 